we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Happy Easter. My name's Chris Kimbangi and uh, I'm the pastor here at Centerpoint Church and I just want to extend my welcome to you if you're new or feel new and it's possible to um, sometimes think that Easter is all about chocolate and Easter eggs, isn't it? And yet at the heart of the story we've got this amazing uh, message from the Bible and um, who's one of those that's already eaten their Easter chocolate egg? Anyone? Yes, get in there Becca. Yeah, yeah. I, I love, you know, if I get an Easter chocolate egg, that's it. You know, the whole thing is gone. And uh, Catherine's one of those annoying people, you might be like her, who kind of eat a little bit today and then goes back in the fridge and then have a little bit tomorrow and then it goes back in the fridge. And it's like, what is anyone like that? Anyone relate? Yeah, unbelievable. Go sit at the back. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, you know, if you're one of those people, I think you just need to expect that other people in the family are going to eat some of that because that is me. So, um, yeah, like I mentioned, I'm Chris, and uh, I help to lead the church along with a few other people. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the promise that is fulfilled in Jesus as he came and died on the cross and then rose again three days later. You have, I don't know, you might have ever noticed that it's really hard to fulfill a promise. You know, yes, darling, I will put my laundry in the basket and not next to it, and then you just don't. Or, yes, I'll put the plates in the dishwasher, not next to it. Or, I'll just be five minutes. All those kind of promises that we make, I know for myself, I fail at them all the time. And yet, uh, right at the beginning of the Bible, there are some promises that are made in Genesis, like 4,000 years ago, that we find are fulfilled in this man Jesus as he died and rose again on the cross. And so, what I want to do is I want to have a look at the promise I will then want to have a look at what the problem was, why there was needed to be a promise in the first place. We're going to then read the passage. So the passage is going to come a little bit later on. And then we're going to look at how the promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And so uh, the promise, there was a promise made. And about 4,000 years ago, there lived a man called Abraham. And Abraham was married to a woman called Sarah. And Sarah didn't have any children. In fact, she was barren. Uh, she was barren and... Um, God spoke to Abraham and he, he, there was two conversations that he had with Abraham. One was in Genesis 12 where he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to all nations. This promise was to bless all the nations through Abraham. And then in Genesis 17, there's another promise. In verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai and your wife, because her name was Sarai at that point, uh, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Why? Because he was old. He was 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90. And he said to himself, shall a child really be born to a man who's 100 years old? And to Sarah, who's 90 years old, will she really give birth to a child? And in verse 19, it says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so the second promise 
is that the blessing of the nations will be fulfilled through the offspring, through Abraham's genealogy, through his line. And it will be an everlasting covenant will be caused never to be broken between uh, people and God. And so there's this promise that is made by God to Abraham and Sarah that they shall conceive a child, even though they were barren and even though they were old in age, that they should call that person Isaac. Isaac will then continue to have descendants and through their descendants that all the nations will be blessed. That's the promise. So what's the problem? The problem was that the promise um, was that there was sin in the world. We read right at the beginning, also in Genesis, that God had made Adam and Eve to live in relationship with him, that God had blessed them, blessed all of mankind, given them mankind authority over the animals and the creatures and the plants. God had had the very best intention for humans and gave them good guidelines to live by, but the problem was that Adam and Eve thought they knew better. And they didn't want to have someone give them guidelines. They wanted to do things their own way, by their own methods, in their own timing, and they couldn't care less what God thought. And this is called sin. And so we read about Adam and Eve turning their backs on God and not following him. And do you know what? We're exactly the same as our great, 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 meaning great grandparents. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that the whole human race ever since has acted in the same way turned its back on God, fallen short from God's standards. And ever since, um, I guess the human race has been caught up in all sorts of sin, war, strife, um, selfishness, and far from what God intended for mankind at the beginning. So throughout the years, people have... um, I'm just going to put that up. Oh, yeah. People have... um, done exactly the same, realised that they've been corrupt, realised that they were separated from God and from all that is good and realised that their sin needed to be punished and that often people try to make up for it. But the fact is that God made Adam and Eve in his image and therefore, do you know what, we are also made in, in, in God's image too, as descendants of them. Every single person, whoever you are, however you might feel about yourself, you are made in God's image, cherished by God, he loves you. And, and yet, at our very core, at our, in, our, in the core of our being, we are sinful. I don't have to teach my children to do bad things. I don't have to teach them how to mess up. They, they learn that all by themselves. It's in there. What I have to do is I have to teach them how to be good, and that's the same for all of us. We are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are fundamentally sinners. We mess up. It's in our DNA. And this sin separates us from God. And the problem is sin and the effects that it has on the whole world. And so God made uh, a promise to Abraham that through his descendants, that the whole world will be blessed. We'll have an opportunity to restore that relationship with God again. At this point, we remember that Sarah is barren and Isaac is promised to them and, and so we're going to read the passage uh, of how this comes about. It says in uh, the passage is Genesis 22 verses 1 to 19. And I'm just going to pull up a few key bits from it. So at this point, sorry, Isaac's been born. And it says this, sometime later in verse 22 in chapter 22. No, sorry, verse 1, chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, here... And Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. This is Isaac. So 
Isaac's been born. They've called him Isaac. And uh, God says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to go to the region of Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on that mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He, he, it's funny, isn't it? He didn't, there was, there's not like a battling, no, I'm not going to do this. He, he got up the next morning, he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And so Isaac carried up the wood. He himself, Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, as God had commanded him. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, I'm here. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now, that, now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thorns he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will, future tense, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. So the promise is reinstated. And I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You might have uh, thought this morning as you were going to turn up, that you would be hearing about the Easter story and suddenly we're kind of talking about sacrifice in the Old Testament. I tell you what, it's all linked throughout the whole Bible. It's one grand story, one narrative of God's redemptive plan to restore all nations to him, all peoples, everyone who would put their trust in Jesus. And it started right back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis as we see this father, Abraham, being willing to sacrifice his his son Isaac, uh, to see this promise fulfilled throughout all the generations. It is foretold in this passage and it's fulfilled in Jesus. Let's just have a look at um, some reasons why I believe this to be the case. Because it's just an incredible story. It's actually, I believe this is one of the reasons why Matthew, at the very beginning of the New Testament, he starts his gospel, his book, with a genealogy starting from Abraham all the way through, shows how Jesus is from the line of Abraham, how he's a descendant from him, because he wanted to show how the promise that was made right back to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. And I know many, well, I've read about many Jews who have come to faith just reading the genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, 
And it's incredible because this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Let's have a look. Let's just see some parallels. So uh, in Abraham and Sarah's story, we see that they bear a miraculous child. A miraculous son is born. And um, an angel visits and says that she will conceive, even in her old age, uh, at 90, she gives birth to a son. It's just amazing. You know, uh, an angel visited another uh, girl called Mary, and uh, Mary wasn't old in age. In fact, she was young, but it was truly a miraculous birth as she had not had sex before. She was a virgin. Uh, We also read how it says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's very clear whom God was talking about because Abraham did actually have other sons through other women. But Isaac was born from Sarah. That's the son he was talking about. And so he reiterates this actually three times. It's like, Abraham, you can't make any mistake which son this would be. Take your, your one and only son. It's like because it's that particular child that was born from the promise of God. And so Abraham comes and he does exactly that. And he loves this son, this, this son that he has, he, he has given birth to through this amazing miracle. And then in Matthew chapter 3, we, we hear God saying of Jesus, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. The history of God's people begins and ends with two fathers willing to sacrifice their sons. And in both sons lay the hope of the world. And in both fathers, a love that's completely beyond reason. That's why in John chapter uh, 3, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life hope of the world in him there's a mountain range called mount moriah which we read about and uh, god leads abraham to this mountain landscape and it's vast and a burnt offering is part of an act of worship worship takes place on this mountain and it often includes animal sacrifice and it's normally associated with a solemn promise made by god and so with this sacrifice that's taken place we expect god to meet um, man in that place that sacrifice to be made and for sin to be forgiven this uh, happens actually throughout the whole of the old testament that these four things occur over and over again and um you might need to click on for me. Cheers. And so um, we read in 2 Samuel how David builds uh, the second altar there. Uh, worship takes place. God meets man. Sacrifice is offered. Sins are forgiven. In Chronicles, Solomon builds a temple there where worship takes place. God meets with his people. Sacrifice is offered and God's forgiveness is found. And uh, on Mount Moriah, these sacrifices... This whole mountainside was vast, and about half a mile from where we read about in Genesis, you find another place called the Hill of the Skull. And in this place, it was just like the other altars. But this wood is in the shape of a cross. And at this place, rather than worship taking place, crucifixion takes place. And God meets man in that moment. And in the form of Jesus, God meets man and Jesus is sacrificed and offered of himself. And by God in Jesus, through him, forgiveness can be found as people come and put their trust in him. It's just remarkable that these happen all in the same location, in the same place. All these things can be found. Not only that, that it's a three-day journey, 70 kilometres that Abraham took with his son, Isaac. And in verse 4, we see that they arrived on the third day. 
on that third day, they went to make sacrifice to God and were hoping that God would provide a lamb. And uh, God, what he did, he did provide the lamb and that lamb took the place of Isaac so that Isaac was set free. And in verse 14, it says that they called the place the Lord will provide. And it goes on to say, as it is said to this day, on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. There's like a looking forward to this provision that God had made. You know what? On the third day, Jesus rose again, defeating death, being the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And uh, you know what? Anyone who puts their trust in him is now set free from sin and shame and guilt and instead can walk in the freedom of all that it means to be saved by grace and know God as their saviour and walking in relationship with him. It's remarkable parallels. And uh, we see also that Isaac carried the wood as he stood at the base of this mountain. Abraham placed the wood on Isaac and Isaac carried it up. We see exactly the same in Jesus as Jesus carried his wooden cross up the hill and uh well at least for the first part before he just was so beaten and whipped that he couldn't anymore so someone else needed to help him do that and uh and i guess a bonus one for this season sunday um and i'm not sure exactly what this means but the ram's head the lamb, i just think it's remarkable that the lamb was caught in a thorn bush his head was in thorns, and yet on the, on the cross we see that Jesus has a crown of thorns thrust on his head by Pontius Pilate and by, by those people. I mean, it's just remarkable parallels that are going on in this story. Um, and through Abraham and Isaac, we get this glimpse of what is required to restore the world back to God. Through Jesus, we get the fulfilment of that requirement. And do you know what? I believe it even points to resurrection. Because um, we find out that Abraham says, I and the lad will go, we will worship, and then we will come back. Abraham fully expected that even though he was going to kill that boy, he fully expected that whatever happened on that mountainside as he killed him, that God would do something in his life so that he could say with confidence that we will both return back. He expected God to do a miracle, even though he was going to prepare uh, to, to kill him. And do you know what? In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that God credited um, this faith as righteousness to Abraham. And so as we come to the point where Jesus has been crucified, his body taken down from the cross and a tomb found for his body to lie in Luke, it says this, the women who'd come from him, uh, to him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bound their faces to the ground, they said to him, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. He's not dead. Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day. And in this moment, all the promises of God that he would bless all the nations through Abraham's descendants are fulfilled. And now everyone, not just Jews, but everyone can place their trust in him and be united to the father once again as he intended for Adam and Eve in the first place. That same father that looked on Adam and Eve and was pleased with them, pleased that he created them. Um, uh, yeah, 
can now forgive everyone's sin, present, past and future as we put our trust in him. The Lamb of God, Jesus, this Lamb who was provided by God the Father to take our place, is one whom we can trust and put all our dependency in. And he brought to fullness this amazing, all these promises that are born all throughout the Old Testament into the New. God the Father sacrifices one and only Son, that through him all the promises that he gave to Abraham would be accomplished. And I just think that's amazing. It's amazing to be reminded of that this morning on Easter Sunday. And so you might be thinking, well, so what? what? What's the point? Well, our danger is that we can fall back into the root of the problem. That's our danger. We can live our lives thinking that it's, that it's this is my life and I should be able to do all that I want to do in it. We can even come to church and maybe do things that we think are going to appease a far off vengeful God and we can try to work out our salvation, work out, be good enough to make God be pleased with us and yet God never chose Abraham because he did lots of stuff for him. No, God chose Abraham and God was pleased in Abraham because he had faith to believe. God credited his faith as righteousness, not his acts and his deeds and his hard work, but it was his faith. And that tells us in Galatians 3. And so God, God accredited this righteousness to him through faith, not because of his observance of the law, but because he trusted in God. He trusted the promises of God and was willing to live his, his life in that light. In fact, um, it was 430 years after Abraham lived that Moses came along and brought the Ten Commandments and brought the law of God and those things. It was long before the law. And so it's easy to think it's all about that. But so what is good to be reminded is that from the very start of Genesis to the end, it's all a work of grace. Faith is received by grace. The whole work of God from start to finish is that. The whole story of the Bible has never been Old Testament, pull up your socks and try harder. New Testament, oh, don't worry about it. You can't sort out your life anyway. I'll just send my son. No, no, it was always God's plan A. It was always through faith in God so by grace Abraham was given a promise by grace Sarah gave birth by grace God was able to fulfill in them uh, the, the promises to them by grace he continued throughout the Old Testament to restore nations upon nations to him by grace Mary got pregnant and gave birth even though she was a virgin by grace Jesus lived a perfect life he went to the cross punished for our sin and by grace he rose again three days later. And so Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, By grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, but it's a gift of God. It's grace. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve and what you could never earn. We were never meant to work our way back to a relationship with God because we couldn't. We could never earn it. We could never work our way enough to get there. But in Jesus, we have someone who's taken the place for us and we can put our trust in him. So it says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 5 verse 8. So grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is, that we can receive it freely from him. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so I've said it already, the history of God's people begins and ends with fathers that are willing to sacrifice their sons and in both sons lay the hope of the world. In both fathers, a love that's completely beyond reason. Let's get the band back up. Just as they come up, 
the outcome of the story is that God, with his eyes fixed on the altar, is able to tell Abraham, now that I know for certain that you love me because you did not spare your own son, oh, now I know for certain you love me because you did not spare your own son. I knew you loved me before, but now your faithfulness has been demonstrated once and for all, so I promise I will bless you throughout all generations. 4,000 years later, the disciples saw Jesus, an offering of even greater love, as the true hope of all nations is killed for all people, so that we are able to say to God the Father, now I know for sure that you love me, because you did not spare your own son. I knew you loved me before, but now your faithfulness has been demonstrated once and for all, so I promise I will bless your name throughout all the generations. As we come and celebrate Easter today, that's exactly what it is, a celebration. It's not a mourning. It's not time for sadness and weeping. It's time for great joy and rejoicing as we come and celebrate all that God has accomplished through Jesus the Son on that cross. And today, through his Holy Spirit, we can come and celebrate and know peace and joy and laughter. We can, we can know great celebration in this son, Jesus, who died for us, who gave himself for us, um, and who rose again, defeating death and sin and Satan. So that as we put our trust in him, we can know great joy, great peace, relationship with our Father. We can know that all the demands of the law are fulfilled in Jesus, not in our own works. We can come by grace to the God the Father. So I want to encourage you to stand today. Let's stand together. I want to pray and we're going to just worship in... We've got time, we've got time, we're going to celebrate, we're going to worship. It might be that this morning as you have come to worship God, you feel God speaking to you, you know, you can come and share with Catherine and we'll fit that in. But we're going to spend time just celebrating and enjoying God's goodness and his love. Father God, I want to thank you for every single one of us here. Lord, I pray for those that perhaps don't know you yet. Today, this week, Lord, I pray, would you give us a moment, Lord God, to reflect on these amazing promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that the whole narrative of the Bible is one of your amazing grace enacted to us. I just pray this morning for each and every one of us, Lord God, however our weeks have been or however our lives are going right now, would you help us to know that you delight in us, Lord God, not because of anything we've done, but just because we're made in your image. It was how you created us in the first place. Thank you that we are restored to relationship with you as we put our trust in you. Help us to do that day by day, to be obedient to you, to trust you in every single area of our lives, I pray. For some of us, that might be for the first time today. For some of us, it might be for the millionth. But I pray even today, Lord God, help us to trust you again. To know, Lord God, that you fulfilled it all. You've done it all. And Lord God, so all our responses to come to you, to glorify you, to worship you, to lay our lives down again to you, to say, Lord God, have your way in our lives, because they're all yours anyway. We worship you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us. Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.